Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today it is Monday, November 2nd. We have all three of our panelists here. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. Howdy. <laughs> I was trying to do it in sync with everyone. <laughs> oh. My bad. The eve of the election. It is here. I am personally very nervous. It is like, um, it feels like an exam mixed with like the birth of a child or something like that. Father Seth over there talking about (laughs) (laughs) experiencing childbirth. Seth's experienced childbirth. This is what it's like, isn't it? Are you very expectant right now? How do y'all feel? No, this is not what it's like at all. During that, I was. No, it's sort of the opposite. Extremely fucking stressed out and also like terrified and grossed out at the same time. Where now I'm just stress eating. That part, that part carries over, but I'd say, yeah, the predominant emotion is less one of optimism and uh, more trepidation, I would say. About child or election? No, about the election. Oh. You can also, like, ultrasound a kid. You have a better... Polls are way less reliable than an ultrasound. (laughs) Do Do you think that he'll... It'll be a wash, like a crushing defeat. I really don't know what's going to happen. You never really know. Last time. I do think it's leaning toward Biden for some indicators. But I also, the more I th- everything feels one way, it could swing the complete other way for these bizarre reasons. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yeah. Ordinarily, I'd agree. But I think, like, given, what is it? Like, did we cross a 100 million threshold for early votes? I feel like it's that's... in the 90s, sing- right? It was right. like 95 million this morning. Yeah. Right. It's um, almost 100, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, how many people voted in the last election? Like 150, 160 million? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like the, you know, projections are far more concrete. So, wait, what should we be looking out for, Dan? The Florida, right? Florida <laughs> is going to report first. Right. Pennsylvania so I think and Florida are key, but Pennsylvania is going to take days to report. I would say the, so there's kind of like three categories of the election. There's the states that are people think are safe Biden. So all the states that Hillary won plus Wisconsin and Michigan. So people think Joe Biden has 258 electoral votes sewn up. Like for sure. That's like worst case scenario. Then the next couple states are Arizona, Florida, and then probably North Carolina are the next three that right now Joe Biden's definitely heavily favored in Pennsylvania, favored in Arizona, probably leading in North Carolina. And so that's kind of where the things get interesting. If you overlay on that where results will come in and the timeline that results will come in, the only three states that we have a pretty good, or there's probably five states that we have a sense that will be decided and called tomorrow night that are at all relevant or that are mostly relevant for the election. Texas and Ohio. I would think most people think Donald Trump is leading both of those. Maybe they're tied. They should return results tomorrow night and be decided. If Joe Biden wins either one of those, he's the president of the United States. Full stop. Then there's the category of states that are probably right now, the public polling would say slight uh, Biden favorites, Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida. All three of those are also expected to be called tomorrow night unless they're a tie. And so the 530, or not 530, uh, New York Times is doing uh, their election needle. They're not doing it nationwide, but they're doing it for those three states. And so tomorrow by midnight Eastern time, the 
expectation is that those three states will be called. If Joe Biden wins any of those three states, he'll be the president. That's Florida mainly, and then Georgia, and what else? North Carolina, those three. And I think right now, probably the polling would say Biden is ahead by the most in North Carolina, probably at North Carolina, then Florida, then Georgia. We'll see. Um, Florida has gone back and forth. Obviously, Barack Obama did very, very well there, but Donald Trump won in 2016. So so we'll see. But those are the three, I think the three key states for tomorrow night, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, should have results and be called by midnight Eastern. And if Joe Biden wins any of those three, he's the president. So wait, let's zero in on Florida for a second. You hear contrasting narratives about how well, first, there's been a lot of early voting, not just in Florida, but in general. And that just in terms of turnout is going to help the Democrats in general. But then specifically in Florida, there's like two competing narratives about how Trump has a better ground game. So there's been a swing toward him in a lot of diverse populaces that might have been more traditionally into the teens supporting Republicans are now a little bit more than that. But then you also have Biden... Um, getting a bump from senior voters compared to Hillary. So it just seems like Florida, there's, it seems like there's so much complexity happening right now. And then you also throw into that the, the ballots that might be provisional ballots and how many of them will actually count and how long or will there be lawsuits about that. It just seems like the complexity is too much to, to count on anything for Florida. So from my glasses half empty perspective, it just feels like we might be seeing a night where Trump is narrowly winning Florida, or it might be going on for weeks being litigated. And then so eyes turn to Pennsylvania to be the decider. Right. Pennsylvania or Arizona. That's the, and so both of those, we should have an idea. If Joe Biden, let's say is winning in Pennsylvania or Arizona by, if the final, like if we fast forward to January 1st and Joe Biden in the history books won Pennsylvania by five or Arizona by five, they should be called either late, late tomorrow night, or um, on Wednesday. And so again, Joe Biden needs to win just one of Arizona or Pennsylvania, and that should get him over the finish line. But those, Arizona, just because of the time zone, um, a lot of people vote early in Arizona. They have experience with early vote and mail voting. So the expectation is they will count pretty quickly. But in 2018, Kirsten Sinema, who's the current US, who just got elected US Senator in 2018, she won by three points. And the election was not called until the following Monday or Tuesday, I believe. So Arizona, even if it was a two to three point Joe Biden victory, it might take till the weekend to be called. So and Pennsylvania, because they are not really going to count their early vote until I think starting today, it's unless there's a decisive, you know, greater than five point victory. I don't think that would be called either until Wednesday or Thursday. So there's kind of like the two phases of this. Does Joe Biden win any of those big five that I talked about? Texas, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia on election night. If he wins one of the five, game over. If Trump wins five of five, it'll probably be decided on Thursday when Arizona and Pennsylvania can be called. So we could be in for a long, long road. <clears throat> we'll see. Jason Miller, who was on, one of Trump's advisors, was on Meet the Press or someone this week, one of the Sunday shows this weekend, and said he thinks they'll be leading in 280 electoral votes on election night. Trump is then going to declare victory and Bill Barr has sent members of the DOJ to states across the country to try to force them to stop counting votes election night if Donald Trump is leading in 280 electoral votes. Hmm. 
and that is the nightmare scenario. And are, are you? What, what about Iowa? Are you? Do you feel you're competitive in Iowa? Right. So I think we could add Iowa to that to that uh, top five that I talked about. Iowa uh, being the sixth. I think the tough thing about Iowa is it's not enough electoral votes that mm-hmm. winning that alone is decisive. Where Donald Trump could lose Iowa, but win Arizona and Pennsylvania and still be the president. If he loses Ohio, Texas, North Carolina, Georgia, um, that would be a death knell for yeah. his uh, re-election campaign. So I would say I feel pretty, I would say I feel a little neutral on Iowa. I think it, I was feeling pretty bullish. The last couple rounds of polls have come back a little bit, and uh, Joni Ernst has um, rebounded a bit in the polling. She was seemed like pretty clearly down about three weeks ago, and now is maybe just slightly down um, in her re-election campaign. So Iowa definitely seems more... Uh, more up for grabs. Iowa and Ohio, I think, are a bit of a reach. I don't know. We'll see. The, Texas, I think, is one that's most interesting. There have been very, very few polls of Texas recently. And turnout there is going to be uh, massive. And if you look at the turnout models, uh, 538, I keep getting it. One of the Nates did a nice turnout model with Beto's Senate race and basically said, he would win at a certain turnout threshold. And if it was below that, he was not going to get elected. And the same thing is true for Joe Biden with every kind of 5% increase in turnout, his odds of victory go up. And so Texas is poised for their most votes they've ever had in an election. They're growing state. So that's maybe not quite the right benchmark, but as a percent turnout, uh, probably going to set a record. So I think of the states that have been flying under the radar a little bit, there's definitely a possibility that there's a surprise victory in Texas and maybe Biden loses Georgia, but tech, he wins Texas and then it's over. Mm. And did he, did, uh, I mean, obviously Beto didn't make it. And so he didn't meet that threshold, that turnout threshold that he was anticipating. Yeah. And my question would be like, what, what changes have been made in terms of polling from, from last cycle from 2016, that obviously the polls were way off in 2016 and predicted a, I think 538 predicted like a 71% chance of a Hillary victory and that didn't turn out. And so like how, how have the polls pollsters adjusted to that, the kind of like silent Trump voter or, or. Well, it wasn't really a silent Trump voters. I mean, there's two major things from 2016 that we need to think about. One, the national polls, the national polls on election day. I think the average was Hillary at just over 4% victory. And she won the popular vote by, I believe two and a half, 2.7. So the national poll averages were off by about 1.3. The problem was underneath that, the polls underestimated Hillary's margin in New York and California and Hawaii and overestimated in some of the swing states. And in particular, because there was issues where they were not properly weighting within white voters, how many of them had a college education or didn't. And so one of the big changes from Barack Obama to Hillary's election was that white voters without a college degree voted for Trump at much higher margins than white voters without a college degree. So if you didn't control for that variable, your sample set was off. And college-educated voters are more likely to respond to a poll. And so within the subgroup, let's say Iowa, the poll said, or I don't know, Iowa is maybe not the best example, Michigan. Michigan has, I don't know, 80% of the vote is, or is white voters. And so the polls had 80% of white voters, but instead of maybe half of people in Michigan that are white have a college degree, the poll had 60% with college degrees as opposed to 40%. So 
every pollster now waits by education. And so, it does seem though that polls are less and less accurate all the time. Like I, I was reading that. I think that's not true, but really, because well, I was reading that people are less likely to answer calls, and especially people that are less educated answer less calls. So a lot of these polls are then weighted; they overweight the answers of those people to then co- compensate. Yeah. So it just seems like there's a lot of voodoo that goes into making and then a lot of the polls are online as well and it just seems like for me the more optimistic um indicator is just the turnout than it seems to be the uh the poll results it just seems like traditionally democrats do better when more people vote so that's just fairly it cuts fairly obviously to me i think it's i mean i think like america does better if more people vote because we want more people engaged in democracy Voter suppression is targeted at Democratic voters, and so it is true that when more people vote, Democrats win. Uh, Democrats have won uh, seven of the last eight popular votes for president. So um, only George Bush in 2004 is the only, is the only Republican since uh, 1988 to win the popular vote. Um, and that will definitely, I think, 100% likelihood, Donald Trump will not win the popular vote. So we're going to have one Republican win a popular vote in... Uh, you know, 22 years, or no, 30, 32 years, right? Now we're at 32 years, one mm-hmm. one time, a Republican winning the popular vote, but they have rigged the system to be able to win without um, getting the most votes. And so that's tough. But I think if you look at the, the 2016 polls, the national polls in 2016 were closer to the result than in 2012. The difference is that the state polls were maybe slightly more accurate in 2012 than in 2016. So two big things that have happened that are, have changed. There's a lot more advanced weighting going on in the polls, but there's also a lot more state polls, which are more informative. So the New York Times in particular has made a huge focus of doing state polls so that they have more data points to go off of. And the polls could be wrong in the opposite direction, right? There's a lot of weighting for education maybe. And as to your point, voodoo, voodoo could go both ways. So there's a world in which Joe Biden wins by 12 nationwide and has 400 electoral votes. Mm. <sighs> So we'll see. But we should know a lot tomorrow night. As we said, there's five states. If Joe Biden wins one, probably over. And if he loses all of them, it's going to be probably a few weeks before we know exactly who wins. So what mm. what do you think the odds of some sort of constitutional crisis or there being some sort of um, skullduggery from the Republicans about either trying to keep ballots from being counted, get ballots that come too late, or, or ballots that they, they say are provisional because the person already tried to send in a mailed ballot or or something like um the the idea of the electoral college being messed with like some states sending a different set of electors than the ones that are voted for i would say i think there's a 100 percent chance republicans will try to stop votes from being counted because that is just a fundamental tenet of the republican modern republican party but um, I think it depends how close, if we're in a world where Biden wins Texas and Georgia, then no one's going to try anything funny. If we're in the second scenario where Trump wins all those states, and so it looks like it's going to come down to Pennsylvania and Arizona and be um, a couple days of counting, then I think there'll be a mounted effort to uh, try and manipulate the results. And when you say manipulation, are you just referring back to like 2000? Well, there's two things. You could have the Pennsylvania state legislature say, well, we think that things were weird, so we're sending our own electors and we vote for Trump. 
Mm-hmm. So it could be a more extreme version of 2000. 2000, they just decided to stop counting because the votes at one moment in time favored George Bush. And so the five Republicans in the Supreme Court picked him as the president. I think there were some Myers. tactical legal errors by the Democrats in that case as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we had had a full Florida recount, Al Gore would have won. But I mean, that's that's not scientific. I think that's hypo- that's a hypothesis. It's not. Well, that was the Republican legal hypothesis, too that a full recount would lead to George Bush losing, and so they wanted to stop that. So what do you think of uh, the... Aren't both of the Georgia Senate races, they, they're most likely going to go to... Runoff. Yeah, runoff. runoffs. We'll see. Yeah, they, they definitely both could. I think the special election where there's um, you know six candidates running, I think, is almost destined for a runoff. And it seems the latest polls have Collins versus Warnock in the runoff, which... I think it'd be a pretty good contrast of the two parties. You have a black reverend running in Georgia, who's this great guy, and then Doug Collins, who's the Trumpy, Trumpist, Trumpy type person. Wait, uh, is he is he leading? Is Doug Collins leading against Loeffler? Yes. Yeah. Kelly, Kelly Loeffler the other day, when asked about the Access Hollywood tape, denied unknowing that it existed, and she yeah. said, "I have. What do you mean by Access Hollywood tape?" To which the populace said, "Why do you lie to us? Obviously, no. you know." And you just don't want to criticize Donald Trump because you're going to lose. Sometimes you have to grab life by the horns or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. By the horns? Tough, tough, look, for, <laughs> tough look for her. She's had a quite a 2020 from insider yeah, the, trading to um, being forced to sell her WNBA team because she doesn't think Black Lives Matter to losing her Senate race to a Yeah, crazy she does Trump seem team. awful. She seems awful. Kind of seems awful, yeah. Um. Yeah, the more the more we're talking about it, it seems like if Georgia goes for Biden, then there's going to be all this focus on Georgia going forward. Because couldn't those two elections, if they go to runoffs, then swing the Senate as well? Agreed. I, I think if Joe Biden wins Georgia, then John Ossoff is likely to win outright and get 50 percent. And then it would just be one runoff, Warnock versus Collins, which I think is a pretty good, pretty good race for a. Uh, the Democrats, but yeah, I think the control of the Senate very well with those two seats could very well be up and down. We could not know who's going to control the Senate until January, until the runoff or December, I guess, until the first round of the runoffs happen. So that would be a quite the extended scenario if the Senate is not controlled until December. All right, so wait, let's look at the other side of things. What do you see as the most lo- most likely path for Trump to eke out a victory by just winning? Florida close, and then Pennsylvania close again. Basically the exact same path he took last time around. Yeah, I think the exact same path minus, I think he won't lose, he won't win the Nebraska second congressional district, and I don't think he'll win Wisconsin and Michigan, but that would get him, I think he'd be at 280-ish electoral votes, right around there, with those states if he wins Pennsylvania, maybe 276, something like that. So he would get there. So I think that's his his best shot is that Pennsylvania between the fact that the polls have maybe tightened a little bit uh, in the last week and that voting there is definitely complicated. Absentee voting there was very complicated, so there could be a lot of votes that are discarded. That is his best shot for sure. It makes me giddy thinking how much could change or how much could, you know, be the same, but in a in a pretty stunning way. It seems like everybody is just tired at this point, but... The nightmare could march on. Who knows? I think that is the best thing going for Joe Biden, is that everyone is tired of the nightmare that is Donald Trump. That enough people are tired of it that 
even if maybe they're personally benefiting from it, they would say, I just want to go enjoy life with my kids and not have to focus on Twitter and CNN every day to see what crazy thing the president did. Does, uh, does the Biden, regarding Florida, do you, has Biden made outreach to the Venezuelan and Cuban American communities in, in Florida in terms of like taking a harsher stand on Maduro and supporting the recognition of Juan Guaido in Venezuela and taking a harsher stand on Cuba, for example? Um, I think Joe Biden has taken uh, has a huge outreach to those communities. I think Donald Trump has basically said, if you're Hispanic, you're a rapist. So I think that it's uh, kind of clear who's, who would be the better president for all of America. But, you know, we'll see. So it does seem like he's made the, no outreach towards Venezuelan and Cuban Americans. Yes, specifically he, he has made many outreach. I don't personally know the details of his policy uh, towards uh, Venezuelan refugees in Miami, but I can look it up. We can link to it in the show notes. <laughs> I do think it does. It is kind of it does seem like um, the battle lines are being drawn for the next phase of things. It seems like this is going to do huge. There's going to be huge changes to both parties because of this. It seems like. You could imagine in a democratic sweep how the progressive side of the party is going to feel much more emboldened or they're going to try to act quickly to, to act on their control of all houses. But then at the same time, if if it swings the other direction, there's going to be a shift. You know, there's going to be a reckoning in the Democrats for the other direction. And then for the Republicans, it seems like people Donald Trump has already shown how he's going to dig his feet in, how he's going to you know, move into his next life, which is a continuation of this life, which is yelling about conspiracy theories and riling up a base of people. And I feel like that's where the, the, the support comes from. You see such a difference in men and women. And I think partially it's because women over a longer period of time are kind of level-headed where men will buy into these outlandish theories and, you know, just crackpot ideas. They'll convince themselves through their, the deductive power of their own stupid logic that something is right <laughs> or something is wrong. And so I just feel like that has already taken root. So that's going to continue after the election anyway. So that's why I feel very giddy about the future because shit is going to change no matter what in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be certainly right. interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting reckoning. Win or lose, like Mitt Romney does not have a place in the Republican Party, right? And there are a few people like him that I think are going to have a tough reckoning to say, I support low taxes, I support criminalizing abortion, I support um, foreign wars, but I'm not quite sure I support, you know, ending health care for everyone and ending immigration and some of the crazier of the uh, Donald Trump policies. And with Don Jr., the clear front runner to be the 2024 Republican nominee. Right, that's uh, what I was about to say. This is going to also kickstart the, like, Donald Trump Jr. Kimberly Guilfoyle Roadshow. Oh, it's gonna no, be I, awful. I don't. I don't think that they have staying power in that sense. Um, oh, I could not disagree more. I will put the. I will place the uh, bet here that Don Jr. is a top four finalist for the 2024 president for the Republican nomination. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I do think that they're. First of all, 2024 is is a long time away when it comes to, like, what the political spectrum looks like. But I, I do think that... Well, I think we forget, I, right? Like, Sarah Palin became a celebrity in 2008. Yeah. And Michelle Bachman was, at one point, leading the polls in the 2012 election, right? And where are they now? Agreed. Oblivion. But my point is, like, Michelle Bachman was so Looney Tunes, and 
she was still leading polls of a Republican primary, that mm. Don Jr., he is maybe more Looney Tunes, but he is a practiced national politician now. And so he is just ready. Like, think about this. If it's Tom well, no, the scary versus thing Don is Jr. He has on a debate stage, Marco Rubio versus Don Jr. on a debate stage, yeah. I will take Don Jr. in a landslide to clean up against Marco Rubio. Yeah, I mean, I do I do think that the, the up-and-coming people within the GOP aren't people that you... I think that the 2016 kind of cleared out uh, the sort of Cruz, Rubio, Kasich generation of candidates, and I think you'll see people that are like... Rubio and Cruz are 45. Sure, you have Dan Crenshaw, Nikki Haley, Liz Cheney. You have level-headed candidates that are... Not in the Cheney almost got primaried, right? She didn't run for the Senate because she was going to leave. It's almost a prerequisite now. Liz Cheney did not get primaried. She was didn't run for Senate, right? Because she thought she was going to get primaried. She ran for Senate. She did not run for Senate for. There's a political article about it that came out recently. She did not run for Senate for strategic reasons because she has other ambitions within the House. Speaker Liz, good house. I just think I feel like um, I have a friend who a couple of years ago pitched me this theory about how. The rise of WWE and the staying power of WWE says something about the soul of America and appeals to this sort of like rah rah. You don't care if the if the fakeness of the campaign or the of the event. And I feel like the this type of um, you need to see your leader troll someone on stage or like have witty one liners and all this stuff really has relegated people like um, Mitt Romney to the past. And the more I think about uh, someone like Ross Perot, the more I feel like, damn, we need a new Ross Perot, somebody that could come out and appeal to people through their weird folksiness, but then also has, you know, concrete plans and agendas they can pitch. It just feels like that, um, that America does feel sort of lost into the past and Don Jr. is going to rise up. It feels like, and that's going to be the future. And I think it's going to work. I mean, I, I think that the political platform on policy issues, I mean, I, you know, Trump, Trump, whatever you think of him, he had a policy platform. He was a protectionist. He had pro tariff, anti NAFTA, you know, sort of on foreign policy against foreign engagement, foreign intervention, any type of military conflict. So, so he, you he, think Nikki Haley, you said you mentioned her, she could be the, the future. No, I mean, the she's been mentioned as a rising star. I don't, I don't know if sort of all these candidates have blossomed yet into kind of a full presidential contender where you kind of examine every single issue that Mike they Pence? believe in. But I, I don't think, I don't think elements of the Trump worldview have staying power. I think there's some elements that might, but some elements I think will die with the Trump administration whenever, you know, it goes away, whenever, you know, either on Tuesday or in four years. So well, I, we I can talk about this in a future episode. Let's not yeah. count our chickens before they hatch. My brain just flashed to a future debate between Donald Trump Jr. and Mike Pence. That would be some fun stuff to watch. It would be amazing, right? Don Jr. just being like, you weren't there to support my dad. That's why he lost. If he had a good vice president he would actually have won re-election, but you were undermining him the whole time, you and your, you know, deep state people like you that are D.C. operatives, and I was just coming there for freedom and for America. Nick, you're a D.C. operative, aren't you? Yeah. What? Uh, I used to be. Not anymore. 
So what do you what do you, what's your prediction, Nick? Close us out with a, a bold prediction. I don't think it'll be a sweep. I think it'll be tight. That's what I predict. I'm not going to predict whether or not. I mean, I, I have no idea whether or not Trump's going to win or lose. But I think it's it's not going to be as close as uh, it's not going to be as as big as people are saying it's going to be. But I I do think that like obviously Trump is the underdog politically. Um, he he certainly. I mean, I haven't really seen that many polls other than I think the Trafalgar group kind of come out with some, some polls that have him winning certain key States. But um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think it's going to be tighter than people expect. All right. If you're in Florida, go vote Pennsylvania. You're everywhere. Go vote. Yeah. Matters. I agree. I agree. I think what's the weather like tomorrow? I support a strong voter turnout. I think it's good for the country. Is there good weather everywhere tomorrow? I feel like that could. I'm gonna go look at the the weather.com radar in, in Broward County. Yeah, good point. I heard that their election results come in last. Why is that? There's just so many people there, I guess. I don't know, Dan. Dan, would you know about Broward County? Uh, I don't know a ton about the geographical weather patterns in Broward County tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Well. If anyone can uh, affect those patterns, I guess we want more rain. No, less rain. We want turnout. Or no, but the Democrats have already. Isn't rain better I want for no Democrats rain. I want in this sunshine, scenario? Sunshine, happy day. Sunshine is coming back to America tomorrow. We've been in a dark storm for four years. It ends tomorrow. The hope is on the horizon. I don't know. I think rain could be a good sign. Normally that's Grandpa bad for Joe. Democrats. I mean, also, the, Joe is here if you think about COVID, I mean, Wisconsin has like exploding COVID cases. I mean, in, in the vast majority of them are ten, tend to be now in red counties. So, I mean, it, it, I, I, what I don't understand is, like, if it, it, COVID, I think, should be taken seriously by everyone, including the administration. Uh, it is something that we should be concerned about and worried about. And, and I think that, unfortunately, like, it's been politicized. And so I, I, that will definitely, I mean, I, I think that... Whatever I mean, the results of the election, that will be the, it, the reason why a certain outcome be, occurred. It could be like you're like, don't, don't you feel though then it could be a sweep on the other side, hypothetically, if a bunch of people decide, eh, I'm not going to vote today. I mean, the other thing I was thinking about how in England, they have a law that you can't um, publicize the results or, or have any ads on election day or in this because they've done studies that say that that actually does sway people and their interest in voting. So you could see a scenario where they declare Florida or Georgia in one direction, and it all of a sudden decreases or increases turnout in Texas. So I don't know. I could see this wave scenario. A wave is a good, or a snowball is a good way to think about it, because I do think people group think that way. People might not go after work. People might be at work dilly-daddling and like, oh, no, I'm not going to go. I would assume a lot of people are at home. Not in Republican states. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, on anyway, record, I would like to say that I, I do not support the firing of Dr. Fauci. I would like to put that out there. I, I'm a strong supporter of Dr. Fauci. Same. Big fan. Fingers crossed. Big fan. Until next All time. right. Till next time. Fingers yep. crossed, everyone. Good, good luck, America. Dan. Good Thanks. luck. If we don't win, I'll be in a prison by next week. So, you know, um, it was good talking to you all. <laughs> Lock him up. I'll get you out. I'll get you out. All right, great. Thanks. Yeah. All right. God bless.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please tune in next week when, well, anything could possibly happen, it seems. Oh my god.